Our virtues and our failings are inseparable, like force and matter. When they separate, man is no more. Nikola Tesla Violin Vice contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Audie Griffith. And I'm John John. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and give us five stars. We'd really, really appreciate it. And John John, guess what we're continuing today? I think it might be Tesla. It is definitely more Tesla. And today we have a very, very special guest. He's an electrical engineer himself, has a couple similar tendencies as Tesla does, and he is my one and only fiancé, Matthew Taylor Jekyll. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on the show today. We are so glad to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, Matt, we got a special kind of couple questions in store for you today. Oh, boy. Yeah, but before we get to them, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself besides what I've told on the show and um, and what you do and what you got your degree in? Yeah, I can definitely give that a shot. So as my beautiful fiance already alluded to, I am an electrical engineer. I went to school for that, got my degree, and now I actually work for a chocolate company doing automation and electrical engineering for them. So that is both fascinating and delicious. Ooh. Nice, nice, nice. And Matt, where did we go to school? Uh, we went to UW-Platteville, tucked in the southwest corner of Wisconsin. It's a good old town, very fun campus. And just for shits and giggles, what class did we meet in? Uh, some could say that we had chemistry together. Ooh. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's true, we met in chemistry. It was just meant to be. But yeah. So tell us kind of what you're doing at your job, like with all the chocolate and everything. Yeah, I'll keep it kind of high level and brief. So we are a manufacturing plant. Obviously, we manufacture chocolate. So I work on the projects and work with power distribution. So getting power to all the different equipments. And then I program packaging lines and help things just run smoother and introduce automation to otherwise very manual processes. So whether it's programming conveyors to dump chocolate into boxes in a specific order or figuring out why the chocolate might not be going into those boxes. (laughs) (laughs) So question. Yes. With all of these kind of things do you do more stuff with like programming itself or are you doing more of like the the uh hardware type planning for it like with all the circuit kind of connecting type thing or is it a big mix of both 
It's definitely a big mix of both. And I'll say it depends on what stage of the project is in. So initially, it's a lot of specking hardware, as you said. So it's making sure we have the right components to do the job and getting them installed uh, with the contractors. And then while that's going on, then it's programming them to make sure they actually operate how we need them to come project startup time. So one really kind of follows the other, but definitely, as you said, it's a mix of both. And because I'm curious, and I know we have a couple other engineering uh, listeners out there, what kind of programming software do you typically use? We do a lot of Siemens programming in our in our case. A little bit of Rockwell, but mostly <laughs> Siemens programming. <laughs> John, John, get your head out of the gutter. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just kind of out of the blue, what got you into engineering? Oh, it goes all the way back to probably early high school and that's kind of when I knew I really liked kind of taking things apart and figuring out how they worked and then putting them back together. But then my very first car that I had, I was really obsessed with kind of undoing the wiring in that and adding speakers and adding lights and changing how they work. So I really enjoyed uh, soldering. I enjoyed messing with voltage and, you know, just keeping all the levels where they needed to be and messing around and putting all those different components together and figuring out how they work and everything. So that really piqued my interest in not only engineering, but electrical engineering as well. Uh, and then I started taking some classes for that in high school and liked it even better and got into circuit theory and physics and all that good stuff. And then that just continued on to my time at UW-Platteville, where... Uh, I was able to finish my degree and meet a pretty awesome person along the way. <laughs> You're being too cute. <laughs> um, I have another question. Yes. Have you made a Tesla coil? I have not made a Tesla coil, no. We have, uh, Audie would remember this, we played around with one in physics class one time and it made her hair all stand up in a giant big static ball. So that was really fun. Pictures will be posted on the drive. But Hooray. We, we made, um, I, I don't remember if it was a Tesla coil, but we made some sort of coil in physics class where we had the electromagnetic spinning thing for one of our labs. I don't think that was a Tesla coil. Oh, but it was yeah, some... that, that was just a simple AC motor we made. Yeah, we induced a, uh, we induced a current through a, uh, by rotating a wire in a magnetic field, and uh, that just created the, uh, the momentum. So, yeah, it was just a very simple AC motor. Ooh, and we'll get into those eventually. Now, Matt. Yes. If you were shown some of these schematics type things for some of these Tesla inventions, do you think you'd probably have a full grasp on it? Or would you need Audi's help in the mechanical side and be like a weird Tesla solving combo? He was such a unique engineer. So I think I would definitely need the expertise of a mechanical engineer to fully understand his inventions <laughs> because I know he was just way ahead of everyone. Well, here's the thing. I don't think either of us would be able to because he didn't write specifics down. Really? A lot. He had, he had um, as discussed in the last episode, he had an adiabatic memory and he kind of did stuff. So, Matt, like if you imagine 
Tony Stark in the first Iron Man movie mm-hmm. when he's talking to Jarvis and he has the 3D hologram, like hologram stuff and he's making the Mark One suit. Yeah, the hollow table. The hollow table, yes. So Nikola Tesla suffered from these visions from a very young age at the age of seven. And when he got older, he was able to use these visions to basically do a hologram table with his inventions before he built it. Wow. So he could basically put it together if it didn't work out or fit quite right. He could mentally take it apart and then redo it. So by the first time that he built it, he built it right. Um, And so he didn't really make very detailed patents when he did do patents. It was just a very uh, broad term. So like the light bulb, it's just a picture of a light bulb and like little scribbles of light. And there wasn't too much detail on his patent for that, as well as radio waves. It was like a a conductor with wavy lines, and it just said uh, waves, and like it was very, very minimalistic. So I can see if I can find pictures online. Otherwise, I can scan in from the book I have. But um, they were very, very loose and not very specific drawings from Tesla, so... I might be asking you about these later. <laughs> That's fair enough. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. I have a couple more questions based on last episode that we got oh. into that I I think are worth a discussion. Okie doke. Um, so we talked about what got you into engineering. What do you like most about being an engineer? Well, I like the surprise and the unique problems that come with every day at the plant or at the office. Uh, there's definitely weeks and weeks on end where I won't know what I'm walking into in the day, and it's its own new set of problems. Uh, something's got to be tweaked or modified, improved, or you're brainstorming and you're just in the research phase and you're creating something new from scratch. So it's really just the uniqueness of what the day could bring. It's Truly engaging, and uh, I, I enjoy it very much. All right, so next question. What was your favorite lab or experiment during school, or do you have a favorite project that you did? I do definitely have a favorite lab that we did, and it's going to combine two of the concepts that I hope we get to talk about a little later. It was uh, my sophomore year. We built a rectifier circuit, which is basically you can think of it as a phone charger. It's a device that takes an AC current to it and then using a method of which which is called rectification, it converts it to a DC current, which is kind of what your phone would use to charge. It's what would be like a double A battery or something like that. So it combines a couple different uh, concepts that, uh, make a very practical circuit that's used in many applications. Does that circuit use AC or DC power? It takes AC power and then using a series of resistors, transistors, and capacitors, or I'm sorry, diodes and capacitors, it'll rectify that into a DC or direct current signal that is then utilized by small appliances. So like... Anything that does that, like, full 
run system and then when it's low battery it does that like slow down like yeah yeah i think that's yeah i think you're kind of touching on it yeah it's like anytime you plug something in and like one end of the power cord with the prongs on the end you know plugs into the wall and it has some kind of box a part of it or there's a box in line and then you have a cord afterwards that plugs into your phone or plugs into your laptop or your you're plugging in like an alarm clock or a speaker or something. That box is typically a combination of a transformer and a rectifier. So the transformer is going to take the voltage coming out of your wall outlet and step it down to a usable level, sorry, for the rectifier circuit. And then the rectifier circuit is going to turn that into a lower voltage DC current, which is direct current. So the voltage level is not going to change. And that's what's going to be used by your small electronic. Okay. So, what does that mean about the band ACDC? So, I actually have the answer to this. <laughs> um, okay, so, Malcolm and Angus Young developed the idea for the name, the band's name after their sister, Margaret Young, saw the initials AC slash DC on her sewing machine. And ACDC is an abbreviation meaning alternating current, direct current, you know, electricity. The brothers felt that this name symbolized the band's raw energy and power-driven performance in their music. So AC versus DC is pronounced one letter at a time, though the band colloquially known as Akadaka in Australia. So That's funny. Akadaka? Yeah, A-C-C-A-D-A-C-C-A. Akadaka. <laughs> Learn something every day. Yeah. So... Oh, like, I, I was thinking that, like, this may be more on the feud between Edison and Tesla, but it was actually from the AC to DC current that this sewing machine took. So, I'm glad we touched on that. So, a sewing machine named a band that almost everybody has heard of. Yes. Normal things. Normal Beautiful. Things. All right. So what's the difference between AC and DC current? And do you mind telling us a little bit about your electric car? Yeah, absolutely. So the electric car that I, my team rather, and I built back in high school used DC motors to propel itself forward. So that is a direct current motor that pushes current only in one direction. And it's a constant voltage level. On the flip side, you have alternating current, which is AC. And that is where current switches direction in the U.S. at a rate of 60 times per second. So that's where 60 hertz comes from. And our power grid uh, in the U.S. and around the world, for that matter, is set up to push AC current throughout society. Something that is DC current that would be easy to think about is any battery, AAA, AA, D-cell battery, that's going to be a direct current until that cell is depleted. So the current is only going to flow one way. And... It's going to be anything like a solar cell or a battery, like I said. Any type of capacitor bank is going to store power and only push it out one way. Whereas the wall outlet in your house is, is going to be AC current. So instead of having a plus and a minus wire, you typically have a hot and a neutral. And each one is considered current carrying and each one's going to deliver current flowing in its direction. Now, I have a question. Yes. Would, like, a personal 
like generator or a backup generator, do those still use AC power, though the energy for it is essentially converted from gasoline, or would those also be DC? Uh, typically, they are AC because most generators are going to take some different form of energy. So like gasoline is a great example that you said. So gasoline is going to power some kind of alternator, turbine, engine, and it's going to turn rotational energy into electromechanical energy by means of uh, some type of magnetic field and conducting source within that magnetic field to induce a current along the wire. So most generators are typically going to be AC. Okay. Now to kind of just rewind a little bit, we discussed how Tesla would just do uh, integrals occasionally for fun and everything. Uh, You can kind of elaborate why integrals were relaxing for you in college, but also what was your favorite calculus and why? Because John and I discussed this since we both took everything through Calc 3. Well, now that I feel like I'm backed into a corner, I feel like I have to say Calc 2 was the favorite because there was a whole lot of integrating. And for one reason or another, I happened to find them relaxing to do because it was just kind of its own sort of puzzle and there was all the different identities and shortcuts that you had to memorize. So it was just a big brain puzzle. And for one way or for one reason or another, I found those relaxing to do. And you never let me live it down. Well, Tesla found them relaxing too. So, I mean, you have that in common with them. But Calc 3 was my favorite. And then, John John, what did you say last week about what calculus was yours? Calc 3 was my favorite, and I did not like Calc 2 at all. (laughs) I have a strong opinion against the Calc 2. (laughs) But it was essentially everything you said it was, but it was really condensed, so there was, like, no time for me to absorb it, at least in my course, because we went to different schools. They did try to cram a lot of material into Calc 2. I figure that it, it, it's definitely mm-hmm. the most rigorous, so I definitely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I wouldn't say that integrals relax me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm definitely in the minority on that one. But Calc 3 was fun because it was, like, way more applicable for me. And I had Dr. Boyles, who's, like, the hippie Santa and pretty awesome for Calc 3 <laughs> in Platteville. I don't know if you remember him. He would throw chalk. Is that the guy that threw the chalk? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was awesome. <laughs> he was pretty famous for Platteville. All right. Throwing chalk. Yeah. So he was an Ottoman hall or Ots, we would call it. We had pretty old chalkboards. And the teachers would get chalk and everything, and there was this good type of chalk and a bad type of chalk. And if it was a bad type of chalk, you'd like ding it on the chalkboard a little bit and then occasionally toss it at you. Or if you fell asleep in his class or something, he would toss the chalk in your direction and whatnot or throw it out in the hallway. It was pretty fun. He was very passionate about math. So it was fun? Yeah, no, he made it very interesting. I really liked him in Calc 3. And he threw chalk at people. But he also, like, so he was the one that said, you know, you're going to have a computer in your pocket at all times. I'm going to allow you to use your calculator and you can have a note sheet, but I'm going to make the problems really hard and have them be applicable to life. So I learned a lot doing that Mm. um, and memorized a lot of the process. So that's why I liked him a lot. And just 
picturing a lecture hall and like in his mind there's just like depending on which row you're in and he has to throw it at you he has like already allotted points if he hits <laughs> you know he might have but he was pretty awesome all right mm. so we kind of talked about ac and dc current already do you mind talking about capacitors resistors inductors transformers and why some are only used for ac current versus dc current Oh, interesting question. Yeah. So, yeah, you're kind of just you kind of just went through kind of uh, the basic components of any electrical circuit. So if you think about it, uh, resistor is going to be like a picture of a pipe with water flowing through it. So the smaller the pipe is, you know, that's that's your resistor. It's resisting the flow of water. aka It's resisting the flow of electrons in any given circuit. Uh, a capacitor is going to be something that absorbs that energy and discharges it at a rate proportional to um, any number of things. You know, the material it's made out of, the dielectric coefficient, et cetera, et cetera. I won't get into it. Um, what was another one you said? Inductors and transformers. Yeah, so transformer is uh, typically going to be a, uh, an AC thing. You can transform DC current through a series of uh, power power circuits. I'll I'll refer to them simply as so. Mm. Uh, so are those the Autobots or Decepticons? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, too funny, too funny. Um, another another. Oh, that brings up another good point. So an, a reason why <laughs> AC current is much more popular um, on a on the power grid scale is that. If you can figure how many different things in our world take power and how many different voltage levels things are are needed at, so AC current is far more efficient to transform in a, in a transformer. And what that basically is is two sets of coils and via magnetic induction, if you pass current in one side of it, depending on the ratio of number of coils on one side to number of coils on the other side, you're going to get a different voltage level on what's called the secondary of the transformer. So in AC current, because you have that alternating effect that can create magnetic induction, it's going to be very efficient to change those voltage levels. In DC current, however, since you're only flowing current in one direction, you're not going to be able to get that magnetic induction. So you have to do a series of uh, voltage dividers and stepper circuits to change voltage levels and you're going to have a lot more losses because of that so it is much less efficient to change dc voltage levels compared to ac voltage levels and ac can travel a whole hell of a lot further than dc can yeah typically uh, your voltage losses in dc is actually going to be less than ac because uh, ac current is going to have something called the skin effect over long distances so if you think about those long power lines that you see along the sides of the roads that's carrying ac current very very long distances and ac current has a tendency to force its electrons to the outside surface of whatever conductor that it's on so if you think of you have a cross-sectional area of a wire but all your electrons are getting pushed to the outside you're gonna have it simulated to be a much more resistive circuit so you're gonna have more losses whereas dc current doesn't have that skin effect so your voltage drop over distances is actually going to be much less so dc is actually going to be more efficient to transmit it's just much less efficient to change voltage levels on but like after like a mile or so don't you lose like quite a couple definitely yeah a bit more volts on dc though 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's more of like the molecular friction with everything with the AC stuff. It's more like a single line type thing with DC. It's like several lines. So it'll be stronger going through, but like the AC is more of like a refined. So it'll lose a lot more because there's less moving through it. Gotcha. Is that what I, am I right on that? I believe you are. I believe you are. I'd have to double check. Okay. Kind of like picturing like with the water metaphor, like a like a straight tube is like AC where like a full floodgate would be DC. So it's harder to control that because it's like very open and big, but a lot of it's going through. But AC is a very controlled like hose. Gotcha. That's a pretty good analogy. Okay. I'm... I'm trying to put it in a term that I can understand. Absolutely. So I guess where my questions are kind of leading for this is back when Edison did have the first rights on the power grid and everything was DC current, there is a power station pretty much every mile or so. And all the wires and whatnot in New York City, they like almost blacked out the sky when he had full control before the city was switched to AC current because there's so many of them going to like every place because it's only the direct current like you can't gotcha like gotcha. step off everything so the, this is why i'm trying to get an understanding of ac versus dc current to kind of picture what was going on for the time of thomas edison versus nikola tesla and why one was chose over the other besides just the internet saying this is why <laughs> you know hmm. Yeah, you think that to... has more to do with the transformer type properties with the DC? Because if it was different voltages for different areas, you would need more transformers. You yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah, I didn't mean that to be like this is this is why one prevailed and one didn't. But it's no. definitely a strong benefit of AC current is that it's much more efficient to transform voltage levels. Okay. Gotcha. So like it would probably all AC power would go to one transformer and it could be pretty well regulated from that one where DC would have to go to many to be changed to the precise voltage it needs. Yeah, and you would just lose a lot more energy in the process of trying to transform DC voltage as well. So if you figure okay. in, if you're if you're the owner of a power company and you're going to be like, well, you, you want me to deliver, you know, 10 ambiguous units of something, but I'm only getting five out of it. Well, that's not very efficient for me, and it's going to cost me a whole bunch, so I don't want to do it. Yeah. Which one, AC or DC current, do you consider to be more dangerous, or are they both the same, and why? <laughs> I think it'll come down a lot to uh, people's perceptions and applications that they're familiar with these days. Obviously, any form of electricity that a person comes in contact to can be deadly given any number of circumstances. Um, it really comes down to uh, current. They say only a tenth of an amp is enough to kill you, which uh, technically is uh, way, way less than like a car battery puts out. But um, if you touch the leads of a car battery, you're not going to feel anything because most of them only put out about 12 volts. Um, and volts is really a measure of electronic pressure. Current is, uh, you know, how much stuff is going through it. So if we go back to the water analogy, voltage is like the uh, like the flow rate and the pressure of the water and everything. And the current is actually how much water is flowing through. So getting back to which one's more dangerous or not is I think uh, depending on the voltage level, each one presents their own unique kinds of danger. Um, 
One is that if the voltage level is high enough, it'll definitely hurt to touch it. Like definitely don't go via trying to come in contact with a wall outlet or anything. But I think the reason people might say AC current is more dangerous is that it's just more so much more prevalent in our lives. It's like, I don't know, I'm sure every one of us at one point has accidentally touched a prong or something while we're plugging something in and you've gotten that zap. And uh, at least in North America, that's 120 volts AC. So 120 volts of anything is going to hurt. Um, most of the things that we encounter in our lives that are DC, like I alluded to, is like a AA battery or AAA battery or car battery, which, I mean, batter, those smaller kind of, those smaller batteries are only one and a half volts. I mean, you could touch both sides of that and you're not going to feel anything. And they're putting out, you know, in the range of, you know, milliamps. So a unique thing to consider is that when I mentioned that point about AC current changing direction 60 times a second at 60 hertz is you have theoretically a period in that cycle where your voltage level is actually going to be zero. It's going to be for a very brief moment, you know, one sixtieth of a second, for example, in North America. But say you come into contact with AC current, there's a good chance that it is at a frequency such that at one point it'll be zero. So your muscle would actually have a chance to uncontract and you could have a brief moment to actually let go of AC current, which is a good thing. If you're ever in the unfortunate situation of coming into contact with DC current, that voltage is going to be at a constant level all the time. And if it's high enough, your muscle is actually not going to be allowed to uncontract. So you won't have the ability to let go of it. Hmm. And would you say like containment of energy that is based on that, like with wires, with the currents or something, would there be more danger with one in terms of like transportation containment or would it be like basically the same regardless besides the letting go part? Cause I feel like that's probably a clear side of what would happen if danger electrical shock happened. So just to kind of clarify, John, John, are you asking more about like, wire covering like if one's more like likely to start fires than the other or is it more i'd say start starting fires or like causing more problems on like the receiving end of stuff so i'd say that both present their own form of hazards anytime you have directed energy at something um it has the potential to get away from you um, if not properly contained that's why any type of electrical cord uh, laptop charger anything's going to have typically uh, you know some kind of plastic composite rubber insulation over it and the whole purpose of that material is something that does not conduct electrons so the energy is not going to escape the conductor that it's covering so this kind of question brings up a funny story about so I recently read that this wasn't the first house that got electricity. The first house that got electricity was actually in Appleton, Wisconsin, but I haven't been able to verify that, and I will by next episode. But um, J.P. Morgan's house was the first one to get uh, electricity by Edison, Um, and Thomas Edison hired Tesla during this time to uh, fix one of his generators. But... Basically, Edison put 400 light bulbs in his home and changed the light bulbs from what was kerosene lamps to electric light bulbs. And 
Edison and J.P. Morgan kind of launched this business together of Edison Electric. So, what I said before, Edison hired Tesla to repair to repair his DC motor, and Tesla did using a more efficient method. Edison basically refused to pay Tesla for this work. This is part of those 25 inventions I was talking about last episode where Edison jilted Tesla $50,000 for improving 25 of his machines, and that prompted Tesla to quit working for Edison. When Edison did all this and applied current to J.P. Morgan's house, the station, because at the time it made a lot of noise, was about a mile down his driveway. All the wires and everything were buried underneath his driveway leading up to his house. He had about two, I believe they were transformers, but I'm not exactly sure the term, but basically two uh, refrigerator-sized things in his basement that made a lot of noise that every wire went through and then powered his home. And... His home made a loud, kind of a loud buzzy noise. The electricity was pretty loud. Um, and during the winter time, again, have to verify this for next episode, but the wires underneath the driveway were pretty warm. So a bunch of stray cats would just like lay in his driveway every day because the ground was warm from these wires from the station that was about a quarter mile down his driveway. He made a cat heater is what you're saying. Yeah, he made a cat heater. But um, after this initial install, they went back to kerosene lamps just because of how like loud it was and not very useful it was. And then eventually his house did get re-electrified. But yeah, mm, that is interesting with, I mean, cat warmer and super loud buzzy noise with the electricity. Yeah, mm. that's the only nice thing I'm going to say Edison did to any animal or whatnot. <laughs> okay. So. One final question from me about the danger stuff. If something gets overcharged, like a lightning striking on a cord... Does one particular energy handle it better than the other? Or current handle it better than the other? Well, I think since the, uh, since the type of current is what's going to be doing the delivering, um, I'm not sure I, I would know how to answer that. What I, what I will say is that a lightning strike would have the potential to exceed like current ratings of stuff within a house and then cause damage that way if you figure a light is rated for so many watts and your tv is rated for so many watts and your surge protectors are only capable of interrupting so much current um if you interject uh, too high of an impulse of energy into anything i think that's where your risk of damage can come from i don't know if it's necessarily a matter of which uh which style of current is more suited to handle that than the other since the uh the the current itself is what is delivering the energy is how i would say awesome so it doesn't matter like lightning can strike it same thing would happen yeah i would say that is definitely very fair okay yep and then, Matt, I know you've corrected me on this throughout the years and everything. Do you want to go 
through the difference between electrocuted, shocked, and electrified, like all those stuff. Because I would say, when I would get shocked, I would say, oh, I've been electrocuted, and that is not (laughs) correct. (laughs) That was just me being a wise guy and going by the dictionary definition. Technically, to be electrocuted means you uh, succumbed fatally to an electric shock. Shocking is what would just happen if you touched a, an outlet but then you were able to tell me that you touched an outlet if you came up to me and said you were electrocuted i would call you a liar because you were telling me i have been at fault for claiming this many times <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it was just um, that's just good old wordsmithing yep yep all right so john john do you have any more questions I'm still not sure which one's uh, Decepticons or Autobots, but um, <laughs> if you were to guess, do you think that the Transformers would be running on AC or DC? Well, uh, using the bit of knowledge that I dropped on you earlier in the episode, I would definitely say that your Autobots are going to be running on DC power because they're cars. And every car I know has a 12 to 14 volt DC battery that powers all the auxiliary equipment in it. Oh, I did forget that we didn't actually discuss your electric car and all that much just besides that it ran on DC current in high school. Do you want to just tell about a little bit about that project and what speeds your car could do and all this stuff? Absolutely. Was it a Corvette? It was not a Corvette, no. Following my own my own personal affinities at the time, I did try to design the headlights and the taillights to resemble the uh, 2013 Audi R8 at that time, but that was just a vain attempt on my part to be a nerd. <laughs> um, but pretty much I, all the car was is a senior project, my senior year of high <laughs> school. It was a team, myself and five other individuals that I worked with over the course of... Uh, so uh, six, seven months on the car, and it was powered by four DC motors that were actually bike wheels. So we found this product that was marketed to replace the front wheel on a bicycle, and you would strap a battery, a DC battery, to the back of the bike, and you would have your own assisted drive bicycle. So we said, hey, that would be really cool if we got four of those and just built a frame around them and then put a seat and a steering wheel in the center. So it was uh, four DC motors actually propelled the car, and we could get up to a little over 30 miles an hour, I want to say. I think we could have hit 31, 32 miles an hour. And then, of course, me being a nerd, I decided to put a bunch of LEDs and speakers on it and everything, which were also powered by a separate 12-volt DC battery. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty fun project that I got to work on with some good people. Did you drive that to school or did you take turns? Uh, I definitely hogged the steering wheel more than anyone else did, so I'm sure they were <laughs> eager to kick me out of the driving seat a couple times. But we did take it back and forth to school a couple times just to uh, work on it outside or work on it in school. So once we got it uh, mobile, it was easy to bring back and forth. So like in terms of like motor vehicle law was that over 49 cc because then you technically wouldn't need a license to drive that anywhere oh you might be onto something i never really concerned myself with the legality of it to begin with (laughs) i mostly stuck to sidewalks (laughs) you could definitely do that it was fine definitely definitely i want to say we did one of the guys on the team did look into 
how to register. And I think he did start, I'm not going to try to cite anything, but I want to say there was something. If, it, if something goes over 35 miles an hour and it met safety features X, Y, and Z, you could get it licensed as a, as like a specialty vehicle or something. So I want, we briefly looked into licensing it somehow, but I don't remember the specifics of it. Probably along the lines of getting a dune buggy like license as well. Exactly. Oh. And then because I'm curious, and since you work in a chocolate factory, what is your favorite type of chocolate? Uh, my favorite type of chocolate is anything dark. I really like the high cocoa liquor content. So the really bitter, bitter stuff, dark stuff is what I like. Nice. Do you eat pure cocoa powder? Uh, cocoa, not cocoa powder, but cocoa liquor, which is the, uh, the raw ingredient that cocoa powder is, uh, is pressed from. Yes, I will occasionally take a bite of 100% cocoa liquor, and that is very bitter. <laughs> I feel like this is, like, along the lines of a cinnamon challenge. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> could be. I think both would be equally as unpleasant. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Well, mine is milk chocolate, but that's because it's delicious. It is definitely delicious. I won't fault you there. Mine's mint dark chocolate because no, occasionally is. that coating gets done mm-hmm. and Matt brings me home a bag. Oh, now I'm jealous. <laughs> I yeah. want chocolate. No, I had to tell him to stop after a while because, like, you ask him to bring home chocolate, he brings home a 50-pound bag of chocolate. You said you wanted chocolate. You didn't say how much or how little. <laughs> that is fair. He is right to do so. Nope, you are you are correct. So just for next week, so people don't forget where we left off, I'm going to just kind of do a quick review of where we left our young Nikola Tesla and everything. Um, but I do have a couple corrections I do want to go through first. So... I missed a couple of things in Tesla's top 10 inventions from last time, particularly with the RC boat. Tesla had thought the U.S. could use the RC boat in war and save lives, basically how we use drones today. He This was kind of like his first prototype of a drone, and this was way before that time, and he thought it could end wars before it started. So again, this would be like before World War II. However, the RC boat didn't have the range to fulfill that at the time, and Tesla never got the additional funding required to basically make that range possible. So that was kind of the need for that RC boat and what his main goal was behind that. So, I mean, hundreds of years after the fact, we now use drones Mm -hmm. in everything today, so that's pretty cool. So taking the guys out of danger, so like less casualties, more effectiveness. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And we talked about how ACDC got their name too, so that was fun. I appreciate it. Knowing that they got their name from a sewing machine is somewhat satisfying. Yep. So again, just a quick little recap where we left off. So... Tesla, Nikola Tesla's older brother Daniel died when he was seven. After that, he had visions, and basically they were awful visions. He tried to make them good, and eventually when he was older, he could basically use the hologram table, um, like how Jarvis worked with Iron Man for the Mark I suit. 
He dropped out of college, his third year in college, and he worked for the Edison Company in Europe. He worked his way up to basically their main guy. And his boss transferred to the U.S. and he was told to follow, and which he did, but he got robbed on the way, so he basically ended up in New York with absolutely nothing. He worked really, really hard for Tesla, um, stayed up pretty late every night um, working there. He invented 25 machines for... Oh, sorry. He When he worked for Edison, he stayed up pretty late working there. He invented 25 machines for Edison with the promise of 50000 and he was paid very little in the meantime. And he was jilted the 50000 after the 25 machines were invented. And in 1884, th- that equivalent 50000 would be worth $1,334,602.04 today. And he had planned to use that 50000 to invent his own machines and start his own company. So after that, I'm going to just go a little bit ahead to bring us up to the current wars, which will start next week. But Tesla promptly quit at that. Tesla promptly quit from the Edison company and took a job digging ditches for $2 a day. That's about $53.93. But it wasn't long before word got out about Tesla's AC motor that it was worth investing in. And the Western Union Company put Tesla to work in a lab not far from Edison's office in New York, where he designed the AC power systems that are still used around the world today. Tesla leaves us today with the motors I built are there. They were exactly as I imagined them. I made no attempt to improve the design, but merely reproduced the pictures as they appeared to me in my visions. And that operation was always as I expected. So... That is where we're going to leave him for next week with Westinghouse investing in his AC motor. Hooray. Hooray. So we're at about 45 minutes right now, maybe a little bit shorter after we edit this. Matt, do you have any questions about Nikola Tesla or Thomas Edison or anything about the podcast at all? I don't know. You guys do a great job. Thank you. Well, thank you. John, John, do you have any last questions for Matt at all? Hmm. If you could design a computer made out of chocolate, would you? Absolutely. I like it. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Mm. Thank you so much, Matt, for being on today. Um, Thank you for having me on. Having another electrical engineer that's actually allowed to talk to us with Tesla being an electrical engineer is amazing. And to get to know AC versus DC current and all the things you do is really wonderful. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I do understand most of those electrical comparisons with like the inductors and transformers and stuff a lot better now. So I like it. Yes. Matt can definitely describe electrical machinery a lot better than what I can, especially talking about Tesla's inventions and all that. So this was really wonderful to have him clear up a couple of things. So thank you again. You're very welcome. All right, guys, we will see you next week for the current wars. Hooray. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. 
If you want to message us, please do so by emailing us at violinvice at gmail.com or visiting Facebook and Instagram at violinvice podcast or Twitter at violinvice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E, no ampersands here. Or you can give us a once-off donation using PayPal or Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.